this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, including two teaching hospitals and the region's only level two trauma center with more than 5,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and make caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General provides services throughout Acadiana and facilitates telemedicine throughout the state, making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, visit OxnerLG.org. Support for this podcast comes from HomeBank, helping the fixer-upper homeowner achieve their renovation dreams with HomeBank's one-time close construction loan. Learn more at home24bank.com. HomeBank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Our guest is retired federal judge Dickie Hike. Judge Hike grew up in New Iberia, attended USL on a football scholarship, and graduated in 1972. He then graduated from Loyola Law School in 1975. Judge Hike served in the Louisiana Army National Guard, obtaining the rank of captain and company commander for his unit. He then served in the U.S. Army Reserves as a captain from 1980 to 1983. In 1984, Judge Hike was elected as a state court judge for the 16th JDC, covering Iberia, St. Martin, and St. Mary parishes. And then in 1991, he was nominated by President George H.W. Bush to serve on the federal bench for the U.S. District Court, Western District of Louisiana. He then served as chief judge of the court from 2002 to 2009. He retired in 2016 and now is of counsel with Moro, Moro, Ryan, Bassett, and Hike. And I understand the Hike is his son. So we'll hear more about this when we interview. And I know you focus on mediation matters. Judge Hike, and if I may call you Dickie now that we're starting the interview. Absolutely. Welcome to Discover Lafayette. Thank you. All of my friends call me Dickie. I know, I know. But you, you're so accomplished. And I have to tell you, so many people have asked me, to have you as a guest on the show. You really have an interesting life story, and I think anybody from New Iberia that grew up in New Iberia has got quite a story. So, <laughs> Well, New Iberia has, a lot of people from New Iberia have moved to Lafayette over exactly. the years. Exactly, yeah. And, and have been very successful in the move. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of them gone to Catholic High? Most of them went to Catholic <laughs> High, including the new football coach at USL. I didn't know that. Yeah, Mike Desimo was a quarterback at Catholic High. Mm-hmm. Great young man, very religious, very great character, very great moral fiber. His right. father and mother are just wonderful people. Yeah. So, yeah, we've had a lot of kids from here. Yeah. Like Mike Newstrom. Exactly. Um, I, I, could, I could list a bunch, probably. Now, Chris Rader. Chris Rader, yeah. correct. You know, he's a big supporter of this show, but there's just so many wonderful people from New Iberia, but in particular from your well, high school. Well, it was a great place to raise children. Mm-hmm. As I, I told you earlier, I was actually born in Lafayette, and the next day my mother mm-hmm. brought me home to New Iberia. Right. Because right. her family was all from here. Yeah, and I think we met, you knew my husband John, who's an attorney, but I met you through Kim Daigle. It's now Kim Crittenden, but she's a decorator, had lived in New Iberia, and uh, I think I met her when she was decorating your office in the former federal courthouse downtown. She did. She did that one, and she also did the, the new one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, if you can talk about, um, I'd like you to get in some of your days at, at USL. I know you played football there, and you made lifelong friends, but talk about your USL days. Well, I, I enjoyed USL. I had a, it was, I finished there naturally in three and a half years, and but that, they couldn't give us, you didn't, you didn't get a diploma then in, at Christmas time, so I had to come back to get my diploma. But... Uh, I made some great friends there. I knew a lot of people already. Uh, the, the wonderful thing about going to USL is I, I would run into guys that I played football against in high school 
who I did, wouldn't even talk to in those days. Mm-hmm. But when you meet them one-on-one in a different situation, I, I, I got to know a lot of other people. Franklin, uh, Delcom, Abbeville, Kaplan, all, all of those all those teams we played in high school. Cathedral Carmel. Mm-hmm. Cathedral back then. It wasn't Cathedral Carmel. Right, right. And they were our big rival because we were both Christian Brothers schools. Mm-hmm. What did you study at uh, USL? I started off in accounting. And after three accountings and getting points taken off because I didn't double underscore, I got frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I switched to... I, I, I was, I think, three hours short of a degree in economics and three hours short of a degree in finance. But because I had to graduate, because I had to get out and go off to, to Fort Polk and then Fort Benning. You wanted that diploma. I needed, I needed to, we, I changed to general business. I graduated in general studies. I was all over the place at LSU, and I was just so glad to get my diploma. You know, got, I, it didn't matter because I was going to law school, but... At least you studied some good business uh, well, tactics. Well, the, the, the business uh, the business college back then, and I think still now, was mm-hmm. very very good. It was really. Mm-hmm. I almost went to work to work for Iberia Building and Loan after finishing college. I was offered a job there by one of the members who was on the board. Wow! And, and that was probably still based just in New Iberia, it right? It was still just based in New Iberia. A small uh, savings and loan. Small savings and loan. Yeah. But they were they were good. They, right. You could see they had a bright, they had a, a good group. They always had a good group there, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And y'all had a good football team. Catholic in New Iberia was very good. When um, Actually, what happened was Raymond Blanco came to New Iberia. He was from Alabama. And Bobby Banner came with him, and he brought in a, a couple of other coaches, Raymond did. They won the state championship in, I'm going to say, 62 or 63. And then Raymond came to USL and coached at USL before he became the dean of men. But after that, even, we coached Coach Banner, who was like another father to me, mm-hmm. um, was a great coach. We won district championships often, but uh-huh. not another state championship. And then at uh, USL, you were also on a, a good team. At USL, we won the conference mm-hmm. two out of the four years I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I followed Coach Banner to USL to play for USL. He was... Mm-hmm. He was going to coach there, and so I wanted to go where he went. Right, right. Was uh, Mike Newstrom, was he ahead of you? Uh, Mike was a senior in high school and college when uh-huh. I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And when Mike Newstrom was a man, I mean, just a, what you see with Mike is what you get. He's honest, he's strong, he's got a, he doesn't talk much, but he, when he talked, everybody on the team listened because he mm-hmm. was just an outstanding person and still is. Quiet leader. A great quietly, yeah, by action, not right. words. I think you had mentioned to me when we were talking on the phone before this that he had a lot of scholarship offers too. You know, Mike, Mike would probably, and I know he would deny it, but he had, I know he had way over fifty offers to play at different different universities, mm-hmm. but he played at USL so he could be home close to his family. His father died when he was much younger, and Mike wanted to be around to help his mom in case the three younger boys gave her trouble, which they did not because there was... His mother was an exceptional person, too, just Mm -hmm. a great guy. And I I graduated with one of Mike's brothers, and um, he was a Marine and died not long after he came back from from the Marines of something that was related to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And then I played with his younger brother, David, in high school. He was a freshman and made the varsity and in college, he was a freshman and made the varsity. Mm-hmm. Just great athletes and great people. Well, I'm glad you got that in. This interview is about you, but I find it always interesting to see how people's lives cross. You know, you know, I, I learned a lot from Mike Newstrom, um, mainly because he was just such a solid person. And when you're a kid, you try to emulate these guys who are great athletes, if you, mm-hmm. if you will. But he was just a great athlete. He was a great person. And he yeah. still is a great person. So when you I, gra- I'm, I'm very close, I'm, I'm very fond of him. If you haven't figured that out, I picked up on that. <laughs> I know. When you graduated, you and you were going um, into the Louisiana Army National Guard. Was that your next step? I, I, I actually took my last exam at USL in December and January the nineteenth. I was at Fort Polk, basic training, advanced infantry training, 
and I had to commit to go to OCS. So I went to Officers Candidate School at Fort Benning, Georgia. And then I was two days late to get to uh, Loyola Law School because they wouldn't oh. let me out. <laughs> really? <laughs> they wouldn't let me out to go start law school on Did you time. have to wait? No, I didn't have to wait. They, they let you, I mean, you got to go. Oh, yeah, I still got school. to go. And I was two yeah. days late, but they let me in. Good, good. Yeah, I was fortunate. So how do you look back on your service with the Army? You know, what, what did that mean you know, in your I, life? I, I enjoyed uh, the National Guard and Army Reserves. I, I regret sometimes that I was not uh, regular Army and I did not fight in Vietnam. I do regret that. Sounds silly, but I do. Um, I had friends who went there who... Who, none of whom got killed in Vietnam, but some who died not long after. Um, and I felt like I must have been a little selfish not to do that. Oh, no. no. I did. I really, yeah. I felt like that. And it I was, still feel like that a little bit. That was such a rough time for it everybody. It was a very difficult time. Right. But I guess it taught you discipline and honor and Well, my father actually was the one who signed me up to go to the National Guards because I told him I was in I was in Air Force ROTC. I wanted to fight. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> you know how kids are. I want, those are the things I wanted to do. I wanted to go be a fighter pilot. I wanted to go to Vietnam. And he signed me up and told me that if I didn't go sign the rest of the papers, then I, I would be in big trouble. He would be in big trouble. I see. So, so off I, you went. So yeah. I, I went. Yeah. So Loyola Law School, I'm just kind of going through your resume to kind of set sure. the stage for your your career, you know, on the bench. Um, how did you choose Loyola? My older brother, Ted, was a Loyola mm -hmm. graduate. Mm -hmm. um, he was a state senator. He was state representative, representative for 20 years. Okay. Um, and he and I are very close. We're still very close. Uh, that's the only law school I applied to was Loyola um, only because of because of him, mm -hmm. so I went there. I, I I'd never lived in New Orleans before that, but I'd visited him while he was there. Right, and um, made an awful lot of good friends when I was there. Also, mm -hmm. some of whom came from USL and were in law school with me at the same time. It's amazing you were elected to the bench. You know, the 16th Judicial District Court. Right after, I mean, you were 34. Elected. Yeah. I, I've always wanted to serve. My, my father was, was very outgoing. Mm -hmm. um, he did a lot for the community in New Iberia. Uh, Iberia General Hospital was his baby. Uh, he started the, the program through the Lions Club to get that, that facility built. Mm -hmm. And he made a lot of good contacts, a lot of good friends by doing that. And service has always been kind of something he, he wanted his boys to make sure they did service for their community. Mm -hmm. So you so, ran for so I ran. Judge. Well, he ran for he ran for uh, mayor of New Iberia twice and lost. And uh, I learned a lot then. Uh -huh. And when my brother ran for state rep, uh, I was the most educated sign putter upper and uh, those voice trucks that go out there. Yeah. With, <laughs> I did that right out of law school uh -huh. and. Um, I knew I wanted to do something, and I thought about running for school board at one point, and my father said, don't do that, and uh, told me why, and I followed his advice. He said, you should be a judge. So when the opportunity came up, wow. I decided to run, and I had no opposition. You didn't? I didn't. Did not. Oh, I my goodness. 30. What a gift. Well, you know, I, I tried a lot of cases. I, I was in uh -huh. court, civil and criminal cases, a lot. Uh, Bernie Boudreaux, who was the DA, my brother actually ran against him for DA, and he, I went to see him, and he said right from the beginning he would support me because he thought I knew what I was doing yeah. as, as a lawyer, thought uh -huh. I'd be a good judge, and Bernie and I became very good friends. We had some great guys on the bench at that time. Uh, judge Buddy Fleming, wonderful human being, uh, Tommy Bienvenu, salt of the earth, Ann Simon, who I love and respect to this day. Um, Ed Delahousie was a fixture in the, in the district. Mm -hmm. um, Mickey McNulty, uh, Judge Johnson, Robert Johnson. We had, we had mm -hmm. some pretty good guys on the bench at the time. What an honor. It, was, it to, really to was. To run and then not to have opposition, though. That says quite a lot about you as a person. Well, 
Honestly, I mean this. It, like it, it, it says quite it, a bit about you. It, it's a wonderful thing not to have opposition. But when you're young, I wanted opposition. and I, I, you wanted to do, I'm going to win, gosh That's darn crazy. It. Yeah. I, I know it, it is crazy, but there was going to, one of the city judges in one of the other communities was going to run against me, and I, I told him that I wanted him to run <laughs> because I, I told him I would beat him and uh, show him. Huh? I, I was pretty cocky, but uh, he, he was a nice guy, and he and I worked it out. And then mm-hmm. Paul Demai, who yeah. stayed on the bench for many years, ran a couple of, a year or two before me and lost. And then after I got on the bench, Paul ran again mm-hmm. and won. And he and I played football together at Catholic High. So another guy. Yeah, yeah. another he's a Catholic great guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. So you served uh, for a while, quite a while. Seven years. Yeah, and then. Um, I want to get into your career after we take a break, but I want to get this in first. So, so in 91, you were nominated by President George H.W. Bush Correct. to serve as a federal judge. Now, is that something people strive for, or were you surprised? Like, How did that come about? Actually, I didn't want that position. I, did, I wasn't considering that position. You were position. still young, like what, 41? I was 41 or? Yeah, that's when very everything, young. Actually, yeah. 40 when on uh-huh. my 40th birthday is when someone called Bernie Bernie was the one who wanted to be on the federal bench Bernie Boudreaux is a brilliant individual everybody who knows him knows that I'm not telling secrets here Bernie was very smart he wanted to be a federal judge but he was a Democrat oh and yeah. he decided he <laughs> didn't want to switch and yeah. I was I'd been a Republican for about by that time five years or so I, I I switched to Republican, but mainly because the biggest deal for me was abortion, and I, I, I just thought it was wrong. I, it's my belief; it's how I grew up, and to me, it was an issue I thought was very important. My brother told me it was the biggest mistake I ever made when I switched to Republican. Really? Yeah. He, but he he's now a Republican, Demo- so it's, is he? Yeah. Who knows? But that was a different day, though. It Even was then, there weren't a whole lot. There were of only two state judges, I think, in our area mm-hmm. that were Republicans, and I was the youngest of the two. I guess I'm showing how naive I am. I'm a lifelong Republican. Um, I signed up when I was in law school. It was Reagan was in office then, but to me, a judge, especially a federal judge. It, it matters today, but it's always seemed to me that a judge should be applying the law and the facts, and they don't seem to have party denominations, but it's just not like that. I understand to be appointed, you have to go with the party and, and no, power. No, you don't. You, know? you don't have, when you're a federal judge, you're You can do what you life. want, yeah, but and I you, mean to get there, you have to. To get there, I never thought I would try to even think about getting there. Um, I remember I held the parish council in New Iberian contempt, which was not a smart thing for a young man <laughs> to do. Uh, they were all older than me, and they got very upset. And um, frankly, I, I did. I always did what I thought was right. And if I was wrong, there was an appellate court who could correct exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I didn't. I didn't worry about those things. Mm-hmm. I just did. I didn't. Uh-huh. If I can ask you before we move on on the abortion issue with the Supreme Court just ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade. My daughter had meant to ask you before she left, but she was curious if you thought that they went too far and could have just maybe addressed the Mississippi case that was being heard and not undo all precedent. Put you on the spot, I, I, huh? I, no, it's, it doesn't at all. I, 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 am, I have always been anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. I was in a law school when... Right. Roe v. Wade came out seventy three, mm-hmm. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a Catholic, I, I thought it was wrong as as a, as a religious thing. But then, when you think about it legally, mm-hmm. I think that should be left up to the states. That's a, that's a state's rights issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So abortions are not gone. They just the right. states are going to decide if they're going to allow it because the health and welfare. The 11th Amendment, I think it is, uh, says the health and welfare of the individuals of a state, that state has the right to, to mm-hmm. legislate that. Mm-hmm. So if if people, and I think they've already spoken here, they, they're exactly. not going to have. Yeah. I, and I, I think it was wrong from the beginning. So I think what they did is I think they have gone back and said that was wrong then, it's wrong now, and they changed it. That's mm-hmm. been my opinion forever. Thanks for sharing that, because I, I realized 
the more I've read about it, how little I had scrutinized which amendments they had relied upon. And we always just hear about right to privacy, but that's not really the, the correct I, amendment I, I to I haven't read with. the decision. Yeah. Um, I, I just haven't read it, but mm -hmm. I, that, that's my thought about all of it, and I thought from the beginning it was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I hear you. That, that's, and right now, sometimes, some people may not like this as I say it now. I really don't care. Everybody has their right to their opinion. I have mine, and mine is I always felt it was mm -hmm. wrong. I think it gives perspective that it's not just current justices, but... These are long-held opinions that a lot of people have, no that's, matter what side of the fence they're that's, on. That's you know, true. That's right. absolutely correct. Right. Well, I want to move on, but before we do, Dickie, I always uh, pause and reflect back on past interviews so people can go listen. We have over 260 interviews on discoverlafayette.net. And this clip is from an interview with attorneys Jim Lambert and Tommy Gilbo. I don't know if you know them, but they were talking about the death penalty in Louisiana, and they are both against it. But it's an interesting interview that shares historical background. And Jim Lambert has been active with Cairo's prison ministry. He goes into Angola. He's done that for like 21 years now. And in this clip, he talks about the men he's worked with while sharing his faith. And uh, the U.S. is apparently the only Western country that allows the death penalty. And I think no matter what your personal belief is, just like we were talking about earlier, it's definitely a thought-provoking interview. You can hear this interview and many others at discoverlafayette.net. And now the moment. The men actually in, on death row, I found, were more, uh, more sociable than I expected. Especially after being there for I, so many I, I years. Would, I was really expecting, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so many things about Angola have turned all my expectations uh, upside down. When I first went there, I, I, I was so bl blown away by the love between the men, by their intellectual capacity, by their curiosity, by their openness, mm -hmm. by their verbal abilities. Um, and these men... Uh, on death row, to me, um, were uh, very affable, very sociable, very cooperative. You don't feel unsafe. They were super grateful. Yeah. Oh, no, I've never felt unsafe at Angola. Only one time in 1973 when I was a freshman law student. You and, visited. And, and it was a totally different institution yeah. back then. It right. was a bloody, crazy place. But at, from 2001 on, everyone mm -hmm. has welcomed us. They're, they're happy that people are coming to see about them. I mean, just the mere fact that you care enough that p someone from the outside is coming there with no ulterior motives other than just to be uh, friendly and, and, and bring some hope to them. They, they're very, very appreciative. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with retired federal judge, Dickie Hike. So you're appointed to the federal bench. You didn't go for it, but you got the position. Was that like night and day from what it was like in you state know, court? You know, it really wasn't. Um, when I, when I, right after I got sworn in, um, I set 20 cases a week for the first six months. I had 982 cases that hadn't been taken care of uh, for two and a half years after Judge Dewey moved to the, uh -huh. to the appellate court. Um, it wasn't like that when he left. It's, they just pile up. And in order to get it, get it under control, you just do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. And um, the Fifth Circuit let me have a third clerk at that time, a, a young man by the name of Joel Davis. Joel became a state judge later. Actually, I've had probably five or six of my former clerks who've become judges. That's wonderful. Um, so it wasn't very, it wasn't that different. And what I did was I set most of the cases uh, in federal court of things I already knew from state court. Mm. And then I got a chance to read and get, get prepared for some of the more difficult cases later. Because mm. that really is a big undertaking. Just the rules, all the, uh, it's different. It's, 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 it can be extremely difficult mm -hmm. to, um, to handle a, a federal case. In fact, I, my suggestion to any young lawyers listening, if you haven't done a federal case, before you jump into it, get somebody else who knows what they're doing mm -hmm. and work with them on that particular case. Yeah. 
Because you guys don't mess around in federal court. No, they, they really don't. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're too strict with too many things. Um, you know, I, I because I was on the federal bench, I was I was more of a people person mm-hmm. than most of them who came in who had never been on the bench. Um, Judge Doherty and I had very different thought processes, and we're very good friends. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people thought we were so different, we probably didn't like one another, but we did. And I had great respect for her. I think she had great respect for me. But we came from two different worlds. She came from a defense side practicing law. I came from a plaintiff side practicing law. Mm-hmm. Um, and did some criminal defense work when I was practicing law. And I came from the state district bench where, you know, you're a little more liberal mm-hmm. uh, in, what, in, in how you handle the lawyers. I, I, was, I always tried to be nice to the lawyers when I was on the district bench because only lawyers could run against you. But, you know, you still do what you have to do. Um, You can tell someone no without being rude or ugly. And that's how I tried to do it. I'm not sure I always succeeded, but I tried. You've had some high-profile cases and things happen. Uh, I was looking online about Lafayette Parish not uh, following the desegregation plan. Was that That, a pretty big case? That happened right after Judge Shaw died. Actually, he was still alive when, when they filed to reopen it. Uh, I lived in New Iberia at the time, and Becky, Judge Doherty, and Judge Malosan lived in Lafayette, so they asked me if I'd take it, because those things get very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, they had bumper stickers out saying, hey, Judge, take a hike. <laughs> <laughs> I actually put one on my own truck. So <laughs> they wouldn't know it was you. That's right. They did. had a guy one time put down his windows on side by side on the street. He puts down his window and said, hey, man, I like your bumper sticker. I said, yeah, I think that guy Hike is a jerk. He said, yeah, he's a jerk. And we laughed and went on. But uh, it was pretty heavy. It was serious stuff. Um, I I had some good people working with me during that period of time. Mm Dr. Perry, who was a teacher at USL, I came from a, my mother taught school for 30 years. My aunt Evelyn Haney taught school for 30 or 40 years here in Lafayette. My other aunt, uh, Mary Helen Pharaoh, taught school for 30 years. So my two sisters were both teachers. So I I had a teacher's perspective, Mm -hmm. but Dr. Perry came in and gave me a, a very different perspective because he had been a superintendent and had gone through this before. He actually offered and did help me for free as kind of an advisor. His daughter, Peggy Perry, was one of my law clerks. She's now Peggy Peggy, Peggy Perry Giglio. Oh, yeah. She married uh, Joe Giglio yeah. III. Right. Um, smart young lady. Her dad was brilliant. He was a big help. Um, Father Tom James, uh, who was from Holy Cross um, mm-hmm. Church here in Lafayette, was someone I would talk to about what's going on and why. Um, Janice Abair, who was a former law clerk of mine, uh, she was with the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time, kind of served as a liaison between them and the court mm-hmm. and helped a lot. Um, what was the issue? Like, what was really the issue that was brought before you? Well, what happened was the parish built four schools without getting approval from the court, and they were still under a court order to get permission to do all that. The, the, there, there are five or six issues pertaining to integration and, de- and segregation and desegregation. Um, the facilities, the teachers, the, the percentages of kids, mm-hmm. black and white in each school. That, that, the hardest thing was that, was trying yeah. to get kids into schools where they could meet other kids. And that was difficult, but we, we, we did it, I think, without, I had a lot of African-Americans angry with me because I closed several of their schools. Those schools were in deplorable condition. Um, we built the school on the north side, uh, right up at James, mm-hmm. um, because of that. Uh, everybody thought there'd be riots and problems. They really weren't. The, the people who were causing the problems who were saying all the things that could inflame the community were parents of the schools who didn't want, on both sides, didn't want their children integrated. And the schools of choice was the idea of Dr. Easton, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. who was the superintendent. Remember him. Dr. Easton was a man among men. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I, there were some things he did that I told him because of that he would be fired sooner or later. And he was. And he was. Yeah. But he was committed, mm-hmm. and he was strongly committed. Um, Karen Lippman, who was one of my law clerks, was with me with all of it. It, it, it was a lot of work. That was... Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the most difficult cases I've ever had because there was so much emotion. You can handle the law, okay? It's hard to handle the emotion. Exactly, especially with this issue with neighborhood schools and neighborhood schools and you know, change kids. Yeah, parents. Parents want their kids to have the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, as I look back at this and look at Lafayette now, you see a lot more African American attorneys. Doctors, uh, engineers, um, you know, I, I take a little bit of pride in that. Uh, I remember my wife and I were at a restaurant one time, and this young lady who was waiting on us was, was uh, African-American, and she spoke very well. She was, you could tell she was a smart kid. And I asked her if she was in college, and she said yes. I said, what year are you in? She said, I'm starting my junior year next year. I have a 4-0 at Princeton. Oh. I said, Princeton, what are you majoring in? And I do this all, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but I do this all the time, I, especially back then. She said, yeah. I, I said, where'd you go to high school? She said, Como. I said, oh, okay. You live in that district? She said, no. The, the federal judge opened it up so that they would have to provide us with transportation. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go to Como because I wanted a new environment to learn. And uh, I said, oh, good. I said, Man. you expect to come back to Lafayette? She said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I may, I may not. And um, so she walks away, and I gave her a big tip, and my wife says, why don't you tell her you were that judge? I said, it wasn't about me. Right. It was about her. Yeah. She took advantage of an opportunity, and that's what we did during the desegregation case. Mm-hmm. We gave opportunities. I, I, I didn't shut down schools that were good schools. I, I didn't make the numbers so um, lopsided that somebody would have a problem. Um, the bishop stopped uh, the Catholic schools from taking on any other kids because, you know, you can have white flight. Uh, it, it, was diffi- it was some difficult times, and it lasted several years. I didn't realize that, but yeah. it was a group effort. It was to write the boat, huh? It was a group effort. I, I, you know, when when you are appointed for life, you can take the pressure, um, and I took the pressure, and I took the pressure, and I did what I thought was right. Whether it was right or wrong, you know, history is going to tell. Uh, I can't, but what I did was I I did what I thought was right, and that's what I did. I'm curious. You know, serving as a judge as long as you have. Um, 32 years. Yeah. Is it ever hard to find the right decision? Have you ever just felt like, I wish I didn't have to do this? I'm not talking about a hard issue, but just like what is the right thing to do? I, I handled some cases, divorce cases, child custody cases when I was on the state bench. Mm-hmm. I hated that because, you know, you're, you're acting like God. You, you determine... Which one gets to do what? And that's just, that's a very difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Especially sometimes the father looks as good as the mother. And back in those days, the mother had more rights than the father did. And it was always difficult for me. That and sentencing. I, I, I never got over being upset about sentencing some young person who did something really wrong to a long-term sentence. Um, I... I I never, I, I never got upset by people calling me and saying, this is, this is a good kid. Um, you know, he made a mistake. I, that never bothered me because I knew I was going to do whatever I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But I appreciated people telling me that who knew the person I was going to sentence better than I did, better than the DA or the U.S. attorney, uh, better than the, the, the probation officer who mm-hmm. makes a recommendation. Um, so I always considered that. My, my father taught me when I was a kid, listen to everyone's advice and do what you think is right. And that's what I did. Because uh-huh. it just seems like being a judge is about the toughest job you can have. If you're doing it, 
from the, your heart as you did. There you was know. there were many times I couldn't sleep that night. Many, mm-hmm. many, many, many. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned to me, and I don't know all the details about um, blackmail or something, a bribery <laughs> issue that um, caught you. Like, not that you were in it, but just well. Like, that happened not long after I got on the federal bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a guy that I knew came to my house and started talking about how much money I could make if I helped this person oh, get okay. this. But it was like $2 million oh. was on the board. <laughs> and Just um, showed up and like got a deal well, for you? Well, he knew me, <laughs> and I knew him, and he... He wasn't from New Iberia. I was living in New Iberia, but he had moved into New Iberia. And I guess he thought he knew me well enough that mm-hmm. he could talk to me like that, but he didn't, he didn't oh know me gosh, that well. No. <laughs> and uh, wow. it, it went on for about six months or so. That, that was pretty scary. That was a scary time in my life for my family and for my children. Mm-hmm. Um, John Cox, who was the FBI agent, I called him my handler, John. John was a great guy. He had a he was just a wonderful human being who helped me calm down when things got kind of hairy once in a while. Um, they wanted to put somebody else in my place and to, to, so that that person would carry on the, the whole incident. And Explain that. They wanted to put someone they, in they your wanted, place. They, they actually told me, that, why don't we, we need to get your brother to take your place to get all the information that's needed. And he, they said it's not unusual that they would have somebody as an uh, in-between kind of guy. Oh, I see, just to be like your... Just, just uh, to be like working rep. for me. And uh-huh. I, I said, you don't know my brother. He's very high-strung, and he could... And and they said, somebody else. And I said, no, he can And then they talked about another friend of mine. I said, wait a minute. What you're telling me is you want somebody to take my place because you don't want me getting shot or killed. And he looked at me and said, you're right. Oh, my gosh. And I said, okay. Like you're going to put up a friend. Yeah, like like, that's what I said. I said you, you think I'd, I'd have my brother do that or my, oh. my cousin or a good friend of mine? I, you know, they said, well, if, if, you can't, if you can't do that, then we're not going to be able to go forward. I said, I'm going to go forward. But I'm not going to put anybody else in, mm-hmm. in dangerous way. And it was uh, it was very significant. Did did you help the law enforcement? You, you, uh, did I, you work? I made like I was. I after I gave every all the information to Judge Shaw first because he was mm-hmm. my chief judge, and then to the FBI, then to the U.S. Attorney. Um, I made like I was going to take the money. And they would wire you or something? They wired up my camp at Sippermo Point. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, it was just a little bitty fishing camp. They put holes in my camp. Never fixed the darn holes when it was all over. But anyway, they had, they had cameras in, in the camp that you couldn't see, you couldn't tell. They had um, tape recorders that I had to turn on when I knew they were coming and we'd meet there. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was very scary. One time they showed up and... They didn't call me to say he's crossing the bridge. That was the, that was the code that he was coming. And I had to go turn on all the equipment. <laughs> and when he drove up in my, at my camp, I ran and turned up all, almost all of the equipment. About 15, 20 minutes later, I get a call from John. He says, Judge, it's John, but make like it's Jean, your secretary. My secretary was Jean Senator. And I said, yeah, Jean, what's up? And he said, uh, we're all around. They missed him, but we're, we're there now. So if they kill you, we'll catch him on the way out. <laughs> and he started laughing. And I, I, I laughed, but mine was a very nervous laugh. Yeah. Like, and, uh, thanks for the heads but up. But he knew what he was doing. John Cox was a, a, mm-hmm. a great FBI agent. And um, we it, it went on for several months until they finally arrested him. They had... When, after they arrested him, they, and a week before, too, honestly, I had round-the-clock guards. Uh-huh. My, my kids, they were sitting outside the school, and I had to tell the principal, don't worry about this car. You're going to see somebody there. They did that for a while. and uh, He went to jail? Well, two of the three went to jail. One, one person went to trial, 
and was found not guilty, but he wasn't one I was talking with. The other two mm-hmm. pled guilty. And, um, it's it like was, law and order, huh? It was pretty. Yeah. It was pretty scary. Gosh, and what a way to start your career. <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> by fire. Do you have any cases that you look back on, or anything that happened during your days on the federal bench besides what we've talked about? Like some that stand out. I always liked good cases tried by good lawyers, mm-hmm. and we have some very good lawyers here in Lafayette. Your husband included. Thank you. One of them. Um, but I, I always enjoyed that. Um, people thought I was crazy. I, I tried a case one time for nine. That's probably the longest case I've had for nine. The trial lasted nine full days, and it was a great case, great lawyers. Everybody did a great job. Jury came back. They did the right thing, and, it, you know, it all, it all just worked out. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have—I probably have some that stick out, um, but the bottom line is— I enjoyed being on the bench. Mm-hmm. I, I mostly enjoyed it when I had good lawyers handling a good trial. Right. That was that was fun for me. Right. And I know John always, as good as our state court is, he really always likes being in federal court. For well, his federal federal court's different. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's more formal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know your trial date. Uh, they pretty well stuck to it. Um, very seldom did we let anybody continue it. Uh, we, if there was a good reason, I always allowed that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you knew where you were going more in federal court than in state court. Right. Well, you've been um, retired from the federal bench now for a few years, but you're working with your son and others uh, at Moro Moro, Ryan Bassett, and Hike. So what's it like? Is it a kicking back time? Well, it's it's different. You're mediating. Well, I'm mediating a lot now, but mm-hmm. I right after lost right after I got off the bench, I tried a case in federal court in in Shreveport, a criminal case, and lost oh. it. Oh gosh! <laughs> I was I'm so upset. Uh, I haven't tried one since, but I I still have gotten mm-hmm. some of the case stuff going. Um, my son and I have argued a few a few motions in federal court together. Um, What's his name? Richie. He's Richard Hike Jr. His nickname is Richie. Richie is a smart kid. He he worked it all up. He wasn't feeling well. We were in New Orleans. I said, "Let me let me let me handle the motion. I can handle it." He, so I did. And the other guy said something about our client who happened to be Hispanic, and I lost it. I mean, I came after this guy. Then I got back on point with the judge, and I was starting to get upset again. And he, Pulls on my jacket. I said, excuse me, Judge. <laughs> I leaned over. He says, you always told me when you're winning to shut up and sit down. <laughs> <laughs> so listen to your own advice, Pop. I said, okay. And, and I did, and we won uh-huh. the motion. And we should have won the motion. It was the right thing to do. But uh, It's different, though, trying the case than hearing the case. It's very different. The emotional aspect must be so different. It's very, very mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. You know, you... I, I, I never second-guessed my stuff on my, myself when I was trying this case in Shreveport. Um, sometimes you think, well, if I were the judge, I don't think I would have made that ruling. Uh, some I would have said, oh, that was a better ruling than I would have done. And so mm-hmm. uh, Judge Foote was the judge. She did a great job. Yeah. She's smart. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you always question if you worked hard enough to win the case. And that's so I've slowed down a little bit except for the mediations. Mm-hmm. And I'll try another one before I die. Yeah, I hope so, at least <laughs> one. So yeah, yeah. Well, what do you enjoy doing these days? Like, um, you've worked hard most of your life. You still have your camp? I have a little camp. I sold my camp at Sippamo Point. I bought a little camp at Three Mile, Three Mile Lake in St. Landry. I'm coaching my grandsons in flag football. Uh, I've actually coached all four of them at one time or another, four of the five. Um, I'm very involved with all of them. Uh, I, I love my kids and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. The reason I didn't run for DA is because my family didn't want me to. And I came very, very close to running. And they did kind of an intervention on me one day. <laughs> and, um, and it was the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Bendale, there's a big lot. And I, I know the person who owns it, and you do too, but I'm not going to say who he is. 
and he lets us use a lot to practice our flag football team. Nice. So during football season, whether it's spring or fall, we have two, two seasons for flag football. Mm-hmm. I'm out there with those kids running around and coaching. And, You're staying um, busy. Staying busy. Yeah. Actually, one of, um, one of the Babineau kids, was I was coaching him the first year, and uh, Charlie Babineau, who is, uh, his family is from New Iberia. It's Kathleen Blanco's, Babineau Blanco's family. Charlie came up to me and says, Coach, i got to tell you something. I said, what, Charlie? He says, they're just in the first grade. Calm down. They're going to be okay. <laughs> so I learned from tough guys, and mm-hmm. I, I forget sometimes that they're little, but I, I, I enjoy it so much, and it's so much fun watching them progress. Yeah. And you can see a difference from day one to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. You, you teach a lot of sportsmanship. I don't let those kids lose their temper and get upset with mm-hmm. the referees or the other team. Or that's that's up for the coach to get upset about that, not them. And it's it's to me, football was a life lesson. Right. And I learned right. from the best of the best. So you can teach them those lessons in an age-appropriate, kind way. You really can. How as long sweet! As you're calm. How sweet that you get to do that. Oh, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It it. It has actually probably extended my life because of because mm-hmm. of that. Uh, well, I'm curious if you have any coaching lessons for either people that are thinking about going to law school or young professionals. Any coaching advice for um, our our profession? You know, I, I get a lot of calls from friends, uh, acquaintances, whose children are thinking about going to law school. And I, I often meet with them if they want to meet with me. Uh, I bought a young man lunch the other day who's a junior in college and thinking about law school. I encourage that. I like lawyers. You know, some people don't like lawyers except their own. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's different. It's a great profession as long as you stay on top of it and you do it honestly. Um, there's... There's a lot of different kind of law to practice, and it kind of you need to fit your personality to mm-hmm. that. Uh, and some people are not fit; not they're not a good fit to be a lawyer. Um, my two oldest children are lawyers. My daughter's a lawyer. My oldest daughter, um, my son, and my youngest daughter is a special ed teacher, and she has a master's plus in mm-hmm. special ed. Uh, She's got a big heart. You have to have a big heart to do that. And I wanted her to go to law school. And she took the LSAT and did well the first time and uh, probably could have gotten her in easily. Mm-hmm. But she didn't want it. So I said, don't, don't, don't do, do it. it. It's no. a grind for it's, three years. You yeah. know, any profession, any job you have, if, mm-hmm. you have, if you're not enjoying it, right. it becomes a job. If you mm-hmm. are enjoying it, it's not a job at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I had a great secretary and, and who came with me from the state court to the federal court, Jean, Jean Dewey Senator. Very smart, uh, very strong personality. She kept the ones away from me that she had to the people and um, truly a gatekeeper, uh, which is some young lawyers have to learn that. If you're ugly to the secretary when you call in, mm. you may not ever get to the judge. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's guaranteed. True. It's true. It's a re- very true. Uh-huh. I had a lot of great law clerks over the. I had forty something law clerks, forty two wow. law clerks, I think. Gosh, stay in federal. Yeah. Uh, they a lot of them have done well. Clyde Simeon was yeah. one of my very first law clerks in state court. Uh-huh. He and Glenda August. Um, I was in charge of hiring that year, and I hired three of the five of the law clerks who were African-American that year. That was the first time they'd ever had an African-American. And these kids were smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clyde's very smart. Um, Glenda's very smart. The other guy, God, I can't think of his name. He was, a, he was an engineer, uh, graduated, I think, from, from Rice in engineering, then went to law school. Man. Smart guys, smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what an opportunity to clerk, to really get to see how the machine it. works. You know, you know it. Yeah, you, you clerk for the best. Mm-hmm. John Shaw was one of the one of the greatest guys I've ever yeah. known, and I've yeah. I've known some great guys in mm-hmm. my year. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that he was my chief when I got there. Yeah, I leaned on him a lot, especially when I went through the 
the bribery thing and, yeah. and the school thing. It was, he was wonderful. You know, he was wonderful to talk to and, mm-hmm. and had great advice for mm-hmm. me. You've had a legendary career. I mean, you're still got so much to look forward to, but I just want to congratulate you. These opportunities don't just happen to anybody. I mean, you earn these, and it's it's an honor to have you on this show. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I I, I don't know if anybody earns it. Um, you just keep doing what you do and try to do the best you can at it. Uh, I've been very fortunate in my life. Uh, I've worked hard, and it's paid off. Um, I had great parents. My my parents were wonderful. We weren't wealthy. We weren't poor. Um, I had a great teacher in Coach Banner, Bobby Banner, who I loved with all my heart. Mm-hmm. His his daughter is Carol Whitehurst, who is the magistrate judge here in Lafayette. Okay. She's Carol Banner Whitehurst. She clerked for me for three years. I kicked her out of the office because I told her she she could do better than being a clerk. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she did. did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw that in her. And I've had, I've had a lot of great clerks over the years who, who kept me straight. Uh, the longest one I had stayed with me was Peggy Perry. Uh, she stayed, I think, 14 years, which wow. is a long time. Yeah. I don't know how she put up with me for 14 well, years. Well, it's a great job, too. It's a great Working job. Working with you it, and... It really is. It's a great yeah. job. Um, mm-hmm. They made my job easy, all of my clerks, and I'm mm-hmm. very grateful for that. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. This has been um, Judge Dickie Hike, and just thank you so much. And I want to thank all of you who listen to this. If you haven't subscribed already, please go to Discover Lafayette. Wherever you get your podcast, you'll get a new episode uh, every Friday. We deliver those like clockwork. I'd also like to thank our sponsors who make this show possible. Oxner, Lafayette General, Home Bank, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it professional. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. 